Hello and welcome back to another episode of Season 2 of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Torres. The podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in the insurance and insured tech space, bringing you insight into their views and opinions on the sector, their career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. Season 2 of the podcast, as you will know by now, is all about those inspiring female technology leaders in the space. Uh, we're coming to the end of the series now and I've met some incredible women, much more to come, uh, a couple more episodes to go, um, but I hope you're enjoying it and uh, it's all about finding out what they love about technology and insurance. Um, I've had some brilliant reviews, so look forward to, to hearing more from you on that. In this episode, I bring you Jen Dutz, who is the Capability Transformation Director at RSA in the UK. This was easily one of my most enjoyable conversations so far, so much so that we nearly hit the hour mark, so apologies if this one's a little bit longer than normal. Jen has an amazing career history, from starting coding at four years old with her dad, who's a web developer, to being encouraged to spend time on computers when she was a kid, to ultimately leaving it all behind for a career in the travel industry and then returning to technology by complete accident. I'll leave that story to, to the middle of the pod. Jen is a huge ambitious and uh, impressive tech leader with some brilliant insights, piece of advice and an infectious personality. She's just taken on a new senior role, uh, which is a leadership role at RSA within their technology business. Uh, and has a challenging few years ahead of her, uh, but one she's absolutely relishing. So I hope you guys enjoy the discussion as much as I did. And without further delay, let's get behind the desk with Jen Dallas. Jen, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you, Mark? Yeah, yeah, I'm really good. We're just speaking off camera. You've just got to come back from uh, uh, an amazing trip to Arctic, I think you said, wasn't it? Arctic, yeah, Arctic Circle. So I've just been off in uh, Norway, Finland and Sweden, uh, chasing the Northern Lights and uh, watching killer whales in the Nordic, Nordic fjords. So yeah, amazing. 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 Well, uh, yeah, you mean back down to earth with the, with the podcast. So, um, but look, thanks. Thanks for uh, joining us. Um, really, uh, really um, great to have some of your time. Um, look, I always start the podcast, so I would have done an intro before, but I always start with the, the, the same kind of premise, really. I mean, um, it'd be amazing to, to tell the audience about your background and, uh, and and kind of where you're at at the moment, and then uh, and then we'll dig into it in a little bit more detail. So do, do, you, do you want to give everyone a, a quick intro on you? Yeah, so um, my background is is kind of starts probably when I was three, four years old. So my, my dad was a web developer and I remember being really, really young and at the same time as learning to use, learning to read, write and uh, all of those things you would expect at that age. I was also started to be taught the computer and, and coding. So kind of technology was there from a really young age for me. And I just remember learning bits about something called Fox Pro, if anyone's old enough to have, to remember that one. Um, learning things about Fox Pro and hundreds of books of them on the wall. So coding was really, really normalised for me at a young age, but it wasn't where I sort of saw my career going. It wasn't where I sort of planned to go. I did a, a high national diploma in travel and tourism management because I thought, oh, business will be great. And then if I can travel with it, with it wonderful. But how I got into it was I went and started working for a for a tour operator and I was selling holidays over the phone and we went through a quiet period and, and they said, oh, we need someone to help us with our sales and marketing. And what transpired is they needed someone to write HTML and build build their web pages. So and that was kind of how I broke into it. I 
in between selling holidays, I was coding up web pages in a in a content management system and and within sort of four months of doing that, they said, look, come join the sales and marketing team. And and that's when I got really into kind of digital and that was my foot into technology. Since then, I've worked for worked in the travel industry and then more recently in the insurance industry and really worked my way up up the kind of corporate ladder um, within Tiri Travel, uh, starting off there as an e-commerce exec and ending up as their head of product and e-commerce and then moved across into RSA head of more than insurance from a digital standpoint for for a year then I went into service design looking after robotics lean six sigma and then from there came back into digital and now into the role I'm in now which is a a a capability transformation role within the CIO leadership team so that's a whistle stop (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean, that, that's, uh, I mean, I've done quite a few of these podcasts now. I don't know many, there isn't many people that, that kind of were coding at like four or five years old around their parents. So did you, did your, did your dad encourage that? Or was that just kind of part of what the, the kind of gem, cause you know, like these things are like, I mean, I imagine if you're a footballer, you, 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 you're just around football all the time, right? Like, I mean, uh, the, or the kids of a footballer would be. So was it just something that was just part of everyday life or did your dad kind of encourage you to do it as he saw that was kind of the future and that that was something you should be interested he didn't encourage it because it was the future but he definitely encouraged it so you were allowed to be on the computer if you were doing something that was useful you weren't allowed to just be on there to kind of play games or anything else and that's not to say we didn't play games because ms dos you know doom duke nukem all of those things that you probably shouldn't be playing at that age as a as a young girl were definitely encouraged but yeah you know he had me rebuilding computers so he'd be like oh this bit of ram needs swapping out can you can you go and do that and he'd show me how to do it and then and then it was just a given so yeah we were definitely encouraged into it and by the time I was 10 he had me helping him with a couple of clients he had that didn't know how to use a computer and I was helping them learn how to use word and things like that so computers were very much part of the upbringing and it was a it was a way I knew that you could earn a living at a very young age yeah yeah you, you mentioned you mentioned because yeah. you, you you used uh you used uh we there so have you got brothers and sisters as well yeah i've got an older sister she's a safety engineer for babcock working on nuclear submarines oh wow <laughs> so she's pretty okay. cool yeah. yeah 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 so we've both gone into engineering but in quite different formats yeah, I mean, makes insurance look a bit boring, doesn't it? When you're uh, working on nuclear submarines, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> I think that was a that was a, there was a really interesting point that you made there, um, because it was that kind of upbringing part and the fact that you knew that, that it could be monetized, you could make money out of it, which I think is is, is huge because I think a lot of people don't, even now don't really realize kind of what you can do in technology and what even is technology, especially especially a lot of young girls. But interestingly, you you chose to go down a different um, route, kind of initially. So, what? Um, talk me through that. Like, what did you did you? Uh, you obviously enjoyed doing the technology stuff, but why why did you never kind of naturally? Why didn't you naturally go into that? Yeah, so technology at school wasn't really a subject at all. So you know, we had a a classroom with you know a dozen computers in it, and we also had a a, a class that was on CAD design. But beyond that, there was no coding at school. There was no kind of, it, it just wasn't a thing. And I wasn't the model student at school, it's fair to say. 
and I sort of had I guess checked out of education by the time I hit sort of 17 and so it was well what can I do that will appease the parents and keep me in education but doesn't limit my my possibilities doesn't pigeonhole me into history or mathematics or any sort of set this is how your career must go which is how I found felt about it back then and so you know the the business management was a catch-all well I was aware that it meant I could probably end up working in any industry and the travel bit as I say was I knew I wanted to go and travel the world and well if I could combine the two why not did so did you see that the 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 kind of the did you see that the technology thing could be a real uh, a real career and that's something you might come back to and might ever do or was it just at that point did you just think that that was something you did is kind of a hobby or just in your spare time you know and you were never going to do it you're just going to follow a different career yeah it was much more of a hobby at that point and I don't think it really came back into my psyche until I was sat there and oh can you do some coding yeah of course I can do that that was it I didn't know what I was trying to do with my career when I started it I just knew I needed to get a job and 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 start earning some earning a living basically yeah yeah exactly and i mean i think that's uh that's the thing i think a lot of people do is it? they they kind of get into they do something like that and and even though they find a passion they, they, I, I think for me that one of the common things that i've se- seen from doing this podcast and hear of, um lots of um women's kind of background this is it's just the reality of the fact they didn't necessarily know there was a uh, like a a full-on career in that kind of industry and they didn't really and and if they did know there was a career in it it just they didn't really know how to get into it like and and where that kind of entry level so like you you put out you you obviously had that kind of unique opportunity in the fact that you knew that there was a career path in technology but actually the blocker was really that no one was really teaching you at school so therefore changing turning something into that there was a kind of borderline hobby that you did with your your parent there, there was that bridging that gap to kind of a professional career just wasn't wasn't really an option because there was no there was no bridge there no I think like school was very much around you've got these set subjects and you even now I struggle with how do you actually connect them to kind of day-to-day life obviously I, I can do that in hindsight but um, some of them I think are still completely pointless like geography has not helped me once since I uh, I left school but I think what school did for me was because I wasn't particularly interested in school when I left school it was a I'm going to prove how how good I am and I think that drive and then finding that thing that I could hook into because I knew it and weirdly when I was in that travel company there were two or three of us that were asked to help with the website and it it became quite clear fairly early on that I I understood this stuff because I was my my velocity was slightly um higher than than some of the others that were also doing it as well and I think that that was seen and oh this person understands this stuff and so whilst school didn't didn't necessarily add to it it didn't take away from how I felt about it and I think the experience I had at home with my dad just gave me the confidence that I could do it and 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 I don't think without that I would have had the confidence to break into something that I wasn't necessarily even sure what it was mm, yeah I mean what what do you think uh what's your view on on kind of where we're at now from a a, a kind of a 
get, getting more girls into technology and and that kind of thing. You mean I don't know if you're you're involved in anything like that at the moment with your role at RSA or, or outside of it. But where do you think the improvements need to be made? Because I I think it's quite obvious that the the challenge is not we, we, we've got we've got this kind of thing at the moment where everybody w- wants to bring more women into their businesses, especially in insurance. That's a really it's a really big deal, but. Um, but ultimately, there's not there's not enough women to go around because there aren't enough women at a senior level because there aren't enough women at an entry level. It's 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 a kind of cyclical in in that sense. So, what, what having having gone through that yourself and and seen the pitfalls at, at the the kind of entry level that that have kind of stopped you being thinking that was a very credible route instantly. What do you think the the things that need to be changed? Like, what's your view on that? Yeah, so um, one of the organisations I work with is STEM, um, which is an organisation supporting science, technology, engineering and maths. And um, I'm one of their ambassadors in the kind of West Sussex region. And and a large part of that is going into schools and inspiring um, girls and, and boys, to be fair, that engineering is a possibility maths technology they're all they're all possibilities right and you and you don't need to kind of limit yourself I think the big thing for me is we talk about needing to get more women into these roles but we're sort of hoping that they're just going to arrive and actually there needs to be a lot more work done in kind of year eight so 12 13 year olds both in boys and girls. So girls need to see other women at that age that make them realise there is a there is a career path for them and that they can go into something that they enjoy that is technology-based. Boys need to understand that girls can do it too. So actually, for me, a lot of what I do in the STEM role is going into schools and standing there with 10 other women and being like, right, this is what we do. And try and show I said boys that girls do it too and girls that they've got a career for it and I we went to a, a school in Rygate um uh last summer about 10 of us and we took them through how you do software development and what the life cycle is and we talked to them about cyber and we talked to them about data science and by the end of it we had girls saying oh I could work in social media and I could get paid for that and we had boys saying, oh, I could test games all day and get paid for that. And it was really interesting, the kind of the how much you opened up their minds to what did what did it actually mean in terms of technology and engineering compared to what they thought it was. And so for me, it's about doing a lot more of that and starting at that young age where they're already deciding, you know, what GCSEs am I going to take? And that school in particular had got, I think 11 girls doing uh, doing technology for GCSEs in that year. And for the following year, they had two. And so for me, it's about how do we target them at that age where they're making choices based on, you know, well, my dad didn't play Lego with me. He played Lego with James, you know, my brother. And so I'm not an engineer. I'm not a builder. How do we really start to change the beliefs at a, at a young age? Yeah, that that's a that's an amazing point actually because I think that's an amazing thing that you're doing there and uh, and certainly the, obviously those stats are, are, are incredible. We carry on like that, then the, then there's definitely going to be a change. It has to be, isn't it? But for me, I think the um, and 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 this is uh, I'm I'm 37. I can uh, vaguely remember careers stuff at, at school. It was pretty is pretty dire to be honest. Um, but but it was it was more it was more the fact that 
it, uh, bar those kind of stand like with my daughter now she she will say she wants to be a ice cream man or a, or ice cream woman um or a doctor or those kind of standardized jobs that everybody knows but away from that um i think what people talk about industries i don't think they they people really understand the actual jobs that can be in those industries so technology if people know there's technology out there but i don't think kids really know that like you say social media or testing games or building robots or whatever it might be is actually part of that technology and so i think breaking that down into the specifics of what it could be because the, the, for me the biggest thing when i was at school was that, that it lacked practicality there was like a lot of these subjects that were very very kind of textbook based but they just lacked any kind of practical understanding of what it was like in real life so so i think that that's there is exactly doing that and, and i think that's whenever i speak to young kids are not that many but um they just don't really know what the jobs are. Like, they don't know what the actual job is and what that would look like day to day and if they could earn much money doing it. Um, I think if more girls knew that they actually had more access to that and you could earn £100,000 a year plus with, with with not ease, but but it's very possible, then, then I think they'd probably have more people doing it. Yeah, and it, I think it's true across lots of different industries, right? So we, we talk about industries. You've got the financial industry. You could go into the travel industry. You could go into retail. You could go into, you know, food, wholesale. But, okay, but what could I do? And it was only when I became a, a true um, kind of digital evangelist that I realised that I can do digital in anything. I can do technology in anything. I, I don't have to be pigeonholed into travel, retail, financial services, insurance, I, I can do them all. And and I think there's a real power in having that skill that is um, transversible across across multiple industries and, and, and something that schools don't particularly teach. And even, you know, they talk about, oh, you could become a teacher. Well, yeah, but you could become a teacher in geography or science or engineering or maths or actually there's there's lots of different things that you could do within that that bubble yeah yeah exactly i mean the the the, the it, it, we need to be more specific don't you know i need to be more specific about what that yes. actually is and what that looks like day to day and like what and 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 talk about things like how much money you can earn and stuff rather than that actually being kind of a a, a bit of a taboo subject it's like well actually that's 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 why everyone's going to work we need more female role models, right? There's the Jeff Bezos's and the um, Steve Jobs of this world, but who's actually really advocating and talking about some of the women that are out there doing amazing things in this space, and um, and and they're just not well well documented. And actually, that it's not where I get my inspiration from because of that. So I get all of my inspiration from kind of female athletes and 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 that space because there's a strength and a mental resilience within that world that is very different but is very very useful in a in a business context right but it's quite difficult to find strong powerful women in technology space to go oh that's the person that's going to inspire me and I'm hoping that you know by the path that I've been on I could help be an inspiration for the next generation but there are some really powerful women out there that we don't talk about in the same vein that we talk about, I said, the Steve Jobs and the Jeff Bezos's of this world. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. I think that's uh, you, you need obviously, like you're saying, you need to be able to see people doing the job and be able to have someone that you can look up to and 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 see yourself in them to, to have the ambition to do it yourself, didn't you? Um, so um, just move, I guess just moving away from that a little bit now. Um, so obviously you just moved into a new role at RSA. There's obviously uh, a lot going on um, for you at the moment. Um, what, what's the what's the kind of big things on your agenda at the moment? Going back to kind of more the insurance space, like it'd be good to understand kind of how you um, you see the the sector at the moment and um, what you see that uh, is the kind of big challenges. I think certainly your your kind of digital viewpoint, which I know you've obviously focused on, is is obviously big. So. Yeah, what what what's big on the agenda for you and your role in RSA at the moment, and um and and what's uh, how do you see the industry kind of the way it is currently right now, and what what needs to be done in the sector? Yeah, so you know from an from an industry perspective, it's interesting because my background's in travel industry, right? And I and I look at travel and I think about how kind of advanced it is in the technology and the in the technology space, and then I look at kind of financial services as a whole, and you see kind of banking is kind of leading the pack comparative to insurance in terms of what they're doing and I think there is a need to kind of digitalize more capability with insurance and I think that's true across a number of our competitors as well as ourselves in terms of um, giving the end consumer as well as brokers tools to do the job more effectively more efficiently and 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 giving that kind of self-serve and I think that that will be more and more important as the next generation come through of brokers as well that actually have that desire as well as end consumers that they they just want to do it themselves I think you've got a balance that needs to be struck and I think the FCA are quite hot on this at the moment around making sure there's enough positive friction to make sure people are covered when they when they take out a policy and I think there's a real challenge in that from a technology perspective of how do you do that in a in a less um, people or call center orientated space. Not that they won't always have a role because they will. So I think I think that's some of the the stuff going on at an industry level. I think when I look across insurance and I and I get this view whether I'm talking in RSA or if I talk to competitors across kind of AXA, Aviva, so on and so forth. There's just a lot of complexity and legacy and it's for me it's about how do we cut through some of that and and put in new ways of working and new technology to to kind of support how we want to do things now but I think there's there can tend to be an over reliance on technology will solve the world and I think we do need to do more in the space of process ways of working governance and, and making sure that that's really slick and um, I don't really want to talk about Agile and Waterfall because both work really well, but actually they both work really well when they're efficient and they've got good processes underpinning them and they they support you to deliver the outcomes you need rather than, oh, well, let's do Agile because we can throw all of the governance out the window and we can just get people doing stuff. It's, it's, it's used as a as a tool without the ways of working that come with it which is around agility and pace and empowerment and accountability and those are the things that we need to kind of shift and start talking about more I think as an industry when it comes to RSA you know my new role is all about effective and efficient change and how we can um, be more effective and efficient when whenever we're we're making updates for our customers our consumers our brokers and one of the things that we're looking at as part of that is the the different centers of excellence we've got and how can we um streamline them 
and make them even more effective and more um, and, and contribute more than they do already today. So it's a big role. It's super exciting. There's lots to be done. And, and that's the challenge that is awaiting me for the next sort of year or so. How did you, um, uh, going, just going back to obviously the transition, because obviously you spent a lot of time in the travel and tourism industry, for, firstly, obviously non-technical role and moving into more technical role. I guess two questions. What, one, what made you change and come into insurance is quite a, quite a step change in the industry. Um, and, and two, how did you find it? And like, what kind of, what were the different, what were the big differences that you found? The reason I, the reason I changed, so I, I'd been in the travel industry for 10 years. I loved it. I was looking for either a step up or a, or a step to the side. And it was sort of a case of, well, which one comes first and the sideways step came before the step up came. So, um, I needed a new challenge. I, I was very comfortable in my old role. I could have, I, I mean, I, I could have held lots of different titles, including system analyst, because I knew exactly how the EDI file worked. I knew how to tell a price without needing anyone to tell me how to code it or anything else. And, and I'd, but I knew that business inside out and I needed a new challenge. I needed to know for myself that I could do the same thing somewhere else. And that was a bit of a proof point for myself that it wasn't just because I knew the industry and I knew the people. It was, I can do this anywhere. And so, you know, the insurance job came up and it was for more than at the time head of digital. And so I, I kind of came across, it was an exciting time in RSA. They were just putting out a new platform and it it was it was going to be great. So yeah, I came across, I think, I think there's a couple of differences I see in insurance. Travel, travel, you only make money in travel if your plane is 95% or more full. Otherwise you lose money on the flight because of the cost of running the airplane, the fuel, so on and so forth. So every penny in travel really counts. And you've got a kind of, a, a, I suppose, a supply and demand in in a flight, which is if there's too many seats available, I'm going to drop the prices because I need to fill them to, to make money on it. If there's not many seats left available, I'll hike the pricing because I can afford to have a few of them empty. So it's, it's, it's a very, very simple model in terms of pricing. It's a very simple model in terms of you know you need to fill a plane with insurance it's 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 not that simple it's you know how you earn premium over 12 months because of how policies are written so you know you've got you've got the lag on on that you've also got the pricing is somewhat more complex in terms of underwriting rules and risk factors and so on and so forth so from an industry perspective really really complex I also think, though, from a from an insurance perspective, there's a lot more money in the industry, which I didn't didn't expect or fully appreciate. So the investment is significantly higher in insurance, and and so that's that's been a a big surprise to me. I think when I first joined, I was a bit shocked at how things were done and how far behind it was as an industry, and I at the time got the impression that that wasn't uh, something specific to where I was. It was an industry-wide thing. And as I've got to know the industry, I, I can see that today. There are still things I was doing in travel six and a half years ago that I see not happening across the insurance industry today, which I think is quite quite telling. 
the thing that I kind of love about the insurance industry and why I'm still here is there's so much scope to improve it and to make it better and and it's about helping people at the end of the day and and those two things you know for me if I want to give back to the next generation it kind of helps in in two folds of that because it is about helping people but it's also about the next people that come into RSA leaving them a legacy that they can pick up on and and grow on top of yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's um, the the helping people thing. Insurance, I think, is one of the things that is really, really overlooked. Like, um, there there can sometimes be negative connotations towards insurance. I people try not to pay out and all that kind of stuff that people kind of read off, but they forget that that the, I don't know. I'm going to put a random figure on it, and 99 percent it might not be that, but the vast majority of of times, insurance companies there to save the day when 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 things go badly wrong for you, whether that be a flood in your house or something even much worse than that. So, so I think people overlook that. Um, so uh, I mean, it's a really good point. Um, I'm certainly not saying holidays don't help um, as well because they 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 def- they definitely do, just in a slightly, <laughs> slightly different way. What, what, um, one of the interesting points you mentioned, and uh, I'd be really because uh, um, I, I don't think I've ever spoke to anyone uh, in detail about going from travel to to um, uh, to insurance, and and, and I, I can definitely see the similarities in in certainly in the digital kind of customer journey type stuff. There's there, there's got to be some kind of crossover there. Um, but what what how did you, you you mentioned obviously the the travel side of things is in in essence simpler. Um, do you think that? that is a case that actually insurance overcomplicates some of the stuff therefore it, it, it is by definition just becomes more common i know it is more complicated the way you price things and stuff like that of course it is but is, is there a is there a concept there that, that in the travel industry they've just really simplified it and therefore that 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 by definition makes it even more simple to manage and and insurance have done the opposite or do, or do you think that um that that isn't really the case and actually the way that they approach it is is kind of just relevant for the industry that it's, it is I think there are parts that are overcomplicated, you know, and I think uh, I would look like a fraud if I sat here and said anything other than that. I do think there are factors that play into that though, right? So if you think about the travel industry, yes, it's 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 regulated by the, the um, aviation authority. It's regulated by the advertising standards authority, but it's not regulated in the same way that insurance is regulated from a kind of FCA perspective. Um, and the other thing about kind of the travel insurance where it is regulated, like the Aviation Authority, it's it's not principle-based. It is you can do this and you can't do this because it's about health and safety, essentially. So um, it's much more black and white, whereas I think because the insurance industry and the regulators are quite principle-based, it does leave you open to interpretation. And I think that interpretation is where some of the complexity can come in. I don't think there's anyone sitting there in the insurance industry intentionally complicating it. That's that's for sure. And and if I put a digital lens on it at the end of the day or a consumer, consumer lens on it rather, I'm trying to buy something. I'm trying to service that thing. I'm trying to renew it. I'm trying to cancel it. They're really kind of basic tasks. I think part of the challenge you've got is because it's a grudge purchase, people have very low tolerance for it before they even come into participating in it, engaging with it. And people are pretty poorly educated on insurance. 
you know, most most kids will have gone on a family holiday as they've grown up several times in a year and they'll have sat there with their parents looking at the choices that, oh, maybe we could go to this water park or maybe we could do this, mum. And, and they've actually engaged and they've learned it as they've grown up, whereas actually you've got a consumer in the insurance space that has had nothing to do with it and then all of a sudden, wallet, right now you need insurance for your car Oh, you want to buy a high where you're going to go and rent a flat. You need contents or buildings insurance. These are things that they've not grown up with, that they've been shielded from, and they're just expected to figure out. So I think there is a responsibility on the industry to, to support people. And I think that adds complexity that other industries have had removed from them because it's part and parcel of life. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a really really good point. I think that um, I've never really thought about that like that. But um, the, you, you're right. It's uh, the the grudge purchasing is definitely true. And I've just um, re- I've just renewed my home insurance, and, and as part of that, I've got to get a, a alarm in my house and all this kind of stuff. And it's just all kind of stuff you don't really want to be doing, but you know you know you have to do. So therefore, when stuff is made more difficult because the the the, the actual user experience of doing that policy it just becomes painful um whereas you'd probably put up with that pain if you were booking a holiday because it's actually something you want to do like and and and, and uh yeah so I, I think that totally makes sense um so we, we spoke a little bit there about kind of the challenges where, where do you think the what, do you, what does the next few years look like for you like in regards to kind of i, I don't know you could be specific about rsa or, or just the industry as a whole what what do you think the the kind of big hurdles that we the industry needs to get over and and where do you think if we're speaking in a few years time what what do you think that the kind of big ticket things that should should be solved will will look like i suppose from an industry perspective i'd say data and digital right you know there's it's quite interesting open banking came through from a fintech financial services perspective and then i went to a conference where talking about kind of open insurance and everyone was panicking about it and well, arguably, in some respects, you've already got it. You've already got broker panels that have everyone's details on it and provide a quote. You've already got the aggregators where all of it's there. And so actually, I think it's an interesting one that the industry is afraid of it. But I think, you know, the more we can open up the data, the more we can do more for our customers, the more we can be intuitive about understanding their needs. And then it's about developing the USPs that make someone want to come and be your customer and be loyal to you. And and I think the way that kind of the FCA is going as well around kind of fair pricing and kind of renewal transparency, et cetera, are, are trying to take the industry away from just it being a, a price play. And so I think that's going to be really interesting to see how that evolves over the next few years. And I think digital and data will, will play a big role big role in that so yeah so that's kind of industry yeah and I, and I suspect that to to an extent all of the big big insurance players are on that journey and in, in various different stages of that of that maturity yeah I, I think that customer a customer loyalty thing I think is absolutely I, I I listened to a um I can't remember what the podcast was but I listened to a podcast about that insurance and I think that's that has to be a huge opportunity for insurance business because I, I would say the vast certainly in personal lines anyway um the vast majority of people have absolutely no loyalty to the to the insurance business they they've gone they they go for they just they 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 base it on on price predominantly 
and ease of uh, like they'll get a renewal if the renewals kind of borderline the right price and they don't have to do anything they'll just stick with it but that that's not be, not because of they, they they're loyal to that brand it's because they that's just easy um and that maybe that's the way maybe that's the way to create loyalty i don't know but uh, i think there's a, there's a huge opportunity there for brands to kind of try and carve that out whatever that looks like yeah i think there's there's a bit in there around how how do you create stickiness where where it isn't sticky as a product and and that comes through what's the value add propositions you're going to bring in what's the role you play in the broader ecosystem so you know you're if you're buying a new house is there another way that you can support the customer in that in that buying a house mortgage journey that is more akin to their goal that just gives them the insurance as part of that process rather than so for me it's about as I said the value adds propositions but also that the ecosystem with which insurance is operating because you know when you when you're buying a holiday the goal and the task for the the consumer is to buy a holiday when you're buying car insurance your goal was to buy the brand new car you just now have to do this other piece and so actually it's about the value and the and the ecosystem. Yeah, that's I've never again I've never thought about that. Um, you mean the, the 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 insurance is a necessity, isn't it? That's just the knock on effect of like what what you have to do to be able to 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 drive that car around. You, you, if if someone said to you that the the next day, oh, suddenly you don't need insurance anymore, you wouldn't buy it. Like you mean uh, it, it, it just uh, it's it's kind of a necessary evil. Um, you'd still buy the car, you'd still buy the holiday. So yeah, that's. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, right, so we're, we're coming towards the the end now. Um, I uh, we always um, do the same kind of questions um, at at the end. So the first one for me, and we, you touched on this a little bit, but uh, I'll ask it again. Um, what is it you love about the insurance space right now? The opportunity. There's so much. If you came and joined the insurance industry, you would have an impact on it because so much opportunity. And that's that for me is is the the reward and the the thing that's motivating. Mm. Do you mean as in regards to kind of the opportunities to actually dra- like properly change something to have an impact on like the industry as a whole? Yeah, you can see the opportunities there are for change, for improvement, for more efficiency, for more effectiveness to kind of push the industry forward. And 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 the way has been parred by banking, by retail, by travel. And so if you've worked in any of those industries or many others, you would be able to come into insurance and see opportunity where you can add value straight away. And I think I I can still see that six years in. So that's my kind of, that's what keeps me entertained and keeps me motivated and makes me stay. And I think that's why other people should come and join the industry as well. Because it's, you know, the, the opportunity to, to, to put your stamp on it do you, do you think the, the sector because that's one of the i obviously see it at the coalface is um that there is definitely an incestuous nature about insurance or it, it definitely has been in the in the past and uh, it seems like there's a there's a bit of a change on that and on that but i mean i i've always i mean I've, I've, without going into my line of work like the, the i'm forever pushing like you want to change things and change the way you do things maybe bring some people in from different sectors with a different viewpoint you might get some Get, get a few different heads around the, the table 
you you probably will get some some drastic change. Do you, do you have you seen that kind of what what's your view on that? And have you seen that start? Has there been a bit of a shift change on on that? I think we are seeing a shift change on that. I've certainly seen more people come in from different industries within RSA itself. And I think it goes back to that point about diversity and inclusion, right? Yes, you can talk about race and race and ethnicity and all of those things which are super, super important when it comes to DNI. But just from a, a perspective of pushing an industry forward, having people from other backgrounds, regardless of what that background is, leads to curiosity, leads to challenging conversations, leads to debate, which you wouldn't otherwise have. And I think that's critical for moving moving the industry forward. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's uh, that. I I almost go as far to say that that is of the whole of the, of the DNI debate. It's the one that is always forgotten, and uh, and and it's also the one that's easiest to sort out because all you're all you're doing is actually saying, well, let's just get some really great people who are great at doing the actual job, but all we have to teach them is insurance. Like it's not that that should be the easiest part of it to to to. to to teach us it's, it's a lot harder to be a great engineer or something like that than it ever is to learn an industry and um, when, when broadly it's the same so totally agree with you on that um i always like to get you mean uh your your the views and and this could be this could be kind of um, specific to 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 girls um but it, there, there's a lot of people that listen to the um the podcast who are um definitely on the kind of uh the journey that you you've po- possibly been on uh, might even be at the start or, or kind of ambitions to to move up the ladder what what advice would you give to people? Obviously, you're um, you're relatively young and and uh, and do, doing well. So, how, how have you found that journey? And what advice would you give to people that that kind of want to follow the same kind of path? When I think about kind of young girls in particular, it's about telling yourself you can, because I know for years I told myself I can't or I'm not. And actually, I can and I am. And that changing that belief system and doing work on that kind of mental side of things, I think is really, really critical. And I think it's critical not just from a from a, the stories we tell ourselves perspective, but also from the kind of the resilience perspective and protecting yourself against burnout. Because as women, we always feel like we have to prove ourselves more than we do against our male counterparts. And I think if you can understand your role and start telling yourself, I can, I am, it helps you to reduce some of the expectation you put on yourself and the desire to be kind of better than everyone else to try and get ahead. So that that would be something I'd, I'd definitely say. But I think the biggest thing for me throughout my career that has helped me is curiosity and proactivity so go and ask the random questions don't be afraid to ask something that might seem stupid because I'm telling you it it won't be and there'll be someone else in the room that's got the same question that isn't brave enough to ask it be proactive go and create a network go and meet people tell people what you want tell people where you want to get in your career because you're the person that's then shaping it and driving it and that proactivity generally I've seen come back tenfold so yeah, they're, they're probably the big things I would say. Great. Uh, what's the best thing about being behind your desk right now? It's a brand new desk as well. So yeah, what's what's good for you about being behind that desk right this second? I've inherited an amazing team, <laughs> and um, you know that that's that, that's such a nice thing. I think 
we're really creating a community from day one and and everyone is on the same journey so it's not I haven't got to win hearts and minds because everyone knows where we want to go and actually I've got a lot of external industry perspectives in that team as well so there's a lot of proactivity and drive and collaboration and collectiveness that is I think going to be a bit of a force to be reckoned with so yeah so that's what I'm I'm loving at the moment nice good well so a couple of quick fire questions what's the one piece of technology you couldn't live without I'm going to say my phone but I really want to say a music player okay which could be your phone and, and it could double up in fairness could be the same thing yeah, but if I was like stranded on a desert island and I could only take one bit of technology because I could survive, um, I would I would take some form of music player. I've just got a vinyl player and oh. I'm in love. Amazing. Cool. Which brand or company do you really admire and why? The one that springs to mind is Lego. Yeah. Right? And and there's a few things in that. First of all, they're they're engineers. Through and through they're engineers. Secondly, they actually seemingly care about the carbon footprint. So, yes, everything's plastic at the moment, but they've made a promise to make all their bricks non-plastic. I think it's by 2030 or 2050, which I think is phenomenal given their entire business model centres around plastic today. Thirdly, I think they're such a good brand in terms of diversifying. So they've got their affoles which is the adult adult fan of lego and they've kind of created new sets for that so they've they've really diversified from just being about kids to being about anyone that appreciates it and recognizing that you're not weird as an adult if you like to play with lego you're just you know you still love engineering and actually some people find it really relaxing and it's good for anxiety and and i think as a business they give a lot back you know they think about how they inspire children how they help people with anxiety as adults uh their role that they play in the community the creativity so i i think they're a brilliant brand and i think they stand for more than just the money that they make yeah i i i, I mean I, it's so funny to say it. I, I i absolutely loved lego when i was a kid and uh i can't i, I just obviously just filters out and then my um my nephew is about six and he started playing with Lego this Christmas and I could not get enough of it. It was like, it was really simple stuff, but it was, uh, it was honestly like going back to your childhood. It was like, so I, um, I can't wait to, uh, hopefully my daughter gets into it. I can, I can't get in, I, I can, I can teach, try and teach her some of the skills that I, and see if I've still got them from when I was a kid. But, um, I've actually, I always remember I had a friend who went into to run recruitment at Lego. I went to their offices and honestly, the most, the best experience ever. It's like going to, going to like Disneyland or something like that. It was, uh, it was. Yeah. Cool we get in the industry, we get really excited about Google because they've got a slide in their office. Go to a Lego office. Look what they've got. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Favorite, uh, favorite business related book? Radical Candor, Kim Scott. Okay. Tell us about that. It's a book that talks about how we um, can have kind of difficult conversations, coach other people, and how you can kind of really kind of lead well. And and it's not talking about line management. It's about how you communicate with other people. And, and it talks about being kind of, it's a quadrant basically. And the sweet spot of being able to have conversations with people is being able to have radical candor and how you can build trust with people to establish a safe space to do that and 
it's 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 also a lot about psychological safety but also what it is to to really lead people into kind of a place of accountability and empowerment and and gives practical tips on how to do that and yeah it's uh it's a good book cool great um uh favorite film or tv series you can have one of each if you if you uh if you want most people do i am not a film buff to the point where i'm gonna get the name wrong a film came out called glass onions or something and my brother-in-law said to me oh you didn't like the prequel to it and i said to him i've never seen it and he was like you absolutely have and i was like no i haven't so i went and spoke to my husband and was like Phil's saying I've seen this film. I absolutely haven't seen it. I don't know what he's talking about. And my husband was said to me, "You have seen it. You didn't like it, <laughs> right? Okay. So not I'm not massively into films at all. I can't remember them at all to the extent where the last film I saw was Avatar, and it was the first time I'd ever seen it because it came out in 2009. But my other half wanted to see the next one, and I'd never seen it. And um, but. A film I do particularly like is a film called Erin Brockovich. Amazing. Which is a Julia Roberts film about uh, a water company that contaminates uh, lots of water and ends up giving lots of people cancer. And she it's a lawsuit case about how they get the kind of the the rewards for, for all of these, remuneration for all of these families that have been affected. And... Um, and if you want to see kind of a, a woman that's got tenacity and proactivity and steps into a world that she doesn't know and absolutely smashes it, it's a great film. And then TV-wise, I'm going to go really dull and say Friends because I can't watch an episode and not laugh and sometimes you just need that. I, I'm totally with you with Friends. My wife always moans at me. That's like my go-to uh, if I'm if I'm just eating dinner or something like that and there's nothing else on, that's my go-to. Uh, it, it, although... It is starting like I have seen every episode about a hundred times now. Like I, I think it's uh, starting to start. It's starting to get a little bit old, but um, yeah, it can't really go wrong. And Aaron Brockovich is amazing film. I absolutely, I'm with you on that. Totally, total fish out of water, but really, really kind of absolutely smashes it, isn't she? Um, next one is if if you weren't a tech leader, what would you have been? You kind of were into travel and tourism, so it, you can't be either of those two. I'd be an artist. Wow. Okay. What kind of artist? Well, at the moment, I'm painting a portrait of myself uh, in oils on canvas. I love it. It's it. It's time to zone out and just draw and paint and yeah. And it's something I've kind of rediscovered in the last sort of three or four years from COVID, doing kind of crafty things. But yeah, I I loved art. I was incredibly good at it at school. And yeah, that's. That's where I'd go, and it will probably be where I go in retirement. Amazing! I was just going to say, actually, you kind of answered. Then, did you kind of have you found that in uh, as you got older, or were you into it when you were younger? But you obviously were you into it when you were when you were young as well. And then, what just let it kind of stop that stop doing it all together, and then just found it again? Yeah, probably. So I was really my my granddad taught me how to draw. He was a great artist. And then I probably drew until I was probably about 23, which is when I kind of left home properly for the last time. And yeah, then I've just been busy. So yeah, so two years ago, I picked, picked it back up again and just love it. Amazing. Yeah, I imagine it's quite relaxing as well. Like just kind of take your mind off stuff. Like I, I play golf, so uh, uh, that that's yeah. my, way, my way of getting... Uh, 
getting totally away from uh, from doing anything, but I can imagine it's uh, it's pretty relaxing. And then the last one, uh, who is your number one female role model? This is such a hard question because I, I, I sort of alluded to it earlier. I don't I don't go to and, and and there isn't a single person. I can talk about women that have inspired me throughout my career. When I think about that, I think about uh, a woman called Sam Stimson, who was one of my bosses um, at TUI, who is just phenomenal. You know, Kay Martin, who was our personal lives MD at um, RSA over the last few years, massively inspiring. But a lot of my inspiration actually comes from the from the the sports world. And so, you know, there's a there's a woman called Rachel Newsham who is a, a Les Mills instructor who grew up in Preston, lives in New Zealand, goes all over the world doing doing Les Mills and is, you know, phenomenal in terms of her kind of mental outlook on life, so on and so forth. I've just been reading a book by a woman called Porna Bell who talks about, and the book's called Stronger, and it's about changing everything you know about women's strength and and that's such an inspiring book to read because it's very much around kind of how women in society are taught to be weak and how we can rediscover our strength. So there's lots of women that inspire me, but there probably isn't a single standout person. You know, a, a lot of my early inspiration was my mum. My mum worked really bloody hard to put food and water on the table and give us the upbringing that we were, that that we had. And so lots of women have inspired me along the way so it's it there isn't there isn't one i could name no that's a good answer i mean ending with your mum is uh is a pretty good way to to end the podcast so uh it certainly doesn't get much better than that um right well look you mean jen it's been amazing uh an hour has absolutely flown by um i could talk to you all day um this is uh so thank thank you so much for taking some time out to, to have a chat to us off the back of this i'm sure there'll be some people that want to reach out and get in touch um whether it's just about stuff going on at rsa or just in general um it, most people say linkedin is the best way to get hold of it is is that is that cool if people want to reach out to you to, to speak to you on that is that the, and is that the best platform yeah absolutely that'd be great Amazing. Well, look, you I mean thank you again for taking some time out to speak to us and uh, everyone will be back. There's uh, a few more episodes left of, uh, of season two and then we'll be moving on to season three. We've got a new uh, concept coming. So keep a lookout for that and um, we'll speak to everyone again soon. Jen, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating like in a comment and even better please share with your friends and colleagues if you'd like to connect with me you can do so at linkedin.com forward slash mark thomas and the number zero it would be great to hear from you equally if you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore it'd be great to hear them too behind the desk is powered by eames consulting part of the eames group you can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com Thanks again for listening and I look forward to catching up with you again next time.